Welcome to Prove It Show, the goods and greats of Prove It All Night. This podcast is a little Nuggets compilation compiling great moments featured on the weekly Prove It All Night radio show, which happens every Saturday night from 9 to midnight Eastern Standard Time, only on WFMU.org. This episode features an interview I recorded with comedy great John Glazer, whose show Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter is airing its second season right now over on Adult Swim, weeknights at midnight. Also stay tuned at the end of the episode for a bonus track from the band Citizen Blast Kane. Thanks for listening to Prove It Show, and here is my interview with John Glazer. All right, well, I'm here with John Glazer. Thanks for being with me and doing this interview. Of course, apologies again. The audience doesn't need to know this, but we had to cancel and reschedule because of the stupid subway. That's right. But now they know it. You're originally from Detroit. Suburbs. Suburbs of Detroit. Yeah, did not grow up in the city. Okay. City called Southfield. I've lived in New York, or I've at least been away from Michigan almost as long as I lived there. I guess I've been in, no, actually I've been in New York almost as long as I was in Michigan, Mm. which is just, it's very strange. What was the experience like growing up there? Pretty suburban, just typical suburban uh, childhood. You know, I mean, it's interesting because I'm thinking about that a lot lately because my son is about to go into sixth grade next year. Wow. And the school system here, it's so annoying how, you know, it's like going to college. You have to do school tours. You list your top choices and you hope for the best. It's crazy. You apply and like you get in. Yeah. Yeah. You do a couple interviews. You're not. I mean, it's so stressful for everyone involved. Right. Parents and children. I think it's really terrible. You know, and I'm just used to where I grew up was, here's where you live, here's where you go to school. In the elementary school, you're zoned for the specific school here, but after that, it could be who knows where, unless it's a private school. And we're living in Park Slope, which is an expensive neighborhood, and we're paying all this money to go to this really good school, but that's only for elementary school. It's really annoying. Blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of like minor problems to deal with, of course, in the bigger scope of the world, but... Anyway, talking about my suburban childhood. Do you make it back there to visit at all? You have family over there? All my, I have a sister. My mom are are there. Um, We try to go once a year, maybe. Um, My dad passed away last year, so I was going a lot, Mm -hmm. trying to go once a month and see him. Um, So I've been back quite a bit lately, and I actually just went back for this summer camp reunion which is kind of awesome. It was really incredible. It was a big part of my life as you a kid. You went every summer? I went every summer starting in the summer of sixth grade. Okay. For 11 summers in a row, I was either a counselor or a camper or a counselor. And so I was just back there last weekend for this like reunion, and we got to go on the grounds of the, uh, the old camp, and it's still mostly intact from the people that bought it. It was pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, it was a very emotional weekend. Saw a lot of old friends. It was great. And you played violin when you grew up. <laughs> yeah, I did. Pretty, how, good, pretty good research. How long did you, uh, did you play for? I think I played, um, you know, there was the Suzuki program that they did, and it's just a way to teach kids and introduce kids to the violin, and my mm-hmm. school did it. And so everybody, I think, in fifth grade did it. I think it was mandatory. I think everyone was learning it. And I just continued with it into middle school, and then... I think seventh grade, I might have quit. And I remember my teacher, Mr. Woodson, begging my mom, please don't 
let him quit. Really? And even saying to me, please, I know why you're quitting. You don't think it's cool. You've got friends who are, don't like it. Please don't quit. And I still was like, I just didn't want to do it. I wanted to play sports. And I look back on that and I kind of wish I had stuck with it. That's one of the things I feel like, yeah, I wish I hadn't been peer pressure to quit because I did enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, I played for, I think, three years. And every time I think about it, I think of da 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 da. da. I learned that. Right. Da. There was a couple other songs I can't remember, but yeah. If you were to pick one up, do you think you could remember any amount of it? Oh man, probably not. I mean, I'm just thinking about like you know, I'm holding my hand. I'm, I just switched. I'm holding. I'm a lefty, so I'm holding the microphone for this interview in my left hand. And I just switched it to my right hand so I could put my left hand on the imaginary, <laughs> would that be the neck of the right. violin? And I'm forming my fingers down the, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to, I wish you had brought a violin and said, here. Right. Play. <laughs> yeah. Man, oh man. There are probably ways to, you know, use that in your comedy and stuff. That would be great. That's a good one. That actually makes me think of for this gear show right. that I made. It was a lot of like truth using the past, like with this baseball episode and just pops to mind. That was from my, we didn't do anything with camp, summer camp, but yeah, that'd be a good one. Get a nice violin. Right. Just have a music, uh, you know, episode for sure. I want to do a music episode. Cause there's another thing. Like I never learned how to play an instrument besides the violin. I did trombone. For in seventh grade, maybe just tried it and quit, but I like blowing it really loud. And then I bought a bass when I worked at Conan. I bought a bass just to keep in my office. Yeah, everyone thought, had guitars pretty much in the offices, right? There was a handful of people that did, not yeah. everybody, but a few people. Yeah. And I just thought I'm going to teach myself to play, and I'll do lessons, and I'll just have it at the office. So I, um, you know, and, and then even at home, I took a couple lessons, and but never got that into i didn't stick with it and i hate i bought a bass and then i bought a guitar and i just never learned to play them mm. and it that seems like for sure an episode for gear where it's just addressing that and nerding out on amps and pedals and stuff well for like sure that. nerding out on the stuff but just yeah. confronting the fact that this was something that this is something that i didn't do and I, I just have a guitar and a bass in my home that i just look at and i feel mm. like i have to put them away because i i hate i hate that i didn't that I bought not one, but two instruments that I didn't learn to play. Anyway, that's for future hating myself time. <laughs> I was going to bring up the bass because you did play bass in that uh, crazy... Matter of Trust? Yeah, I was going to say, it's not. I can't really call it a cover band, but it is. Uh, tribute you, band. Tribute band. You played one Billy Joel song, uh -huh. and you guys opened for the New Pornographers? We did. We had done it. It was John Benjamin's idea, I believe, and it was... He sang, Todd Berry on drums, me on bass, and James McNew, who's from Yola Tango, sure. on guitar. And so the idea was that we were just a matter of trust cover band, and that's the only song we played. And then we'd leave stage and come back and do an encore and play that song again. And the new pornographers, those, you know, we just ended up meeting them. And Carl is such a, they like comedy, and they asked us to do it. And it was at the Nokia Theater in Times Square. Right. And it was them. And Bell and Sebastian, and then us. <laughs> and I think we were, I can't remember if it was, I think it was New Pornographers, and then us, and then Bell and Sebastian. So sandwich in the middle. It was hilarious. Some of the audience, you could tell, kind of either got it. Some people seemed truly mystified. It was really fun. But, I mean, I would mess around on the bass, and I, I taught myself a few things, a few, like, very easy versions of songs. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I could at least mess around a little bit and do something like that. Right. But I haven't even picked it up in so long, which is terrible. Nice. I could maybe kind of pick it up again and remind myself of the things I taught myself. But right. yeah. What kind of music did you grow up listening to? Are we talking about like what years? Um, like I guess the, like, like high school when you really started to think about what's music. Yeah, maybe like around the time you stopped playing violin. So like <laughs> sixth, seventh grade to like, yeah, like formative high school. Yeah, I think I was even talking about that recently with, uh, I don't know if it was when I was home visiting, but just was talking about the idea of going from, because I was talking about my bar mitzvah age, which is 13, mm-hmm. and kind of going, and it, that was like, that's another thing for maybe that gear show where it's just, that was such a thing because my son's approaching that age and my wife and I are deciding, are we going to do one or not? I'm not very religious at all. Right. So I'm not sure if we're going to do one and if we are, where. I think about that time in my life and it's just, oh, I just hate it. And I sh- got to give myself a break because it's such a weird age and right. time. But. I was inviting like all the popular kids and there was a bunch of kids I didn't invite that I should have invited. And it just, and also just even as a thing was just mostly meaningless. Mm. But I remember going into high school and it was probably end of ninth grade into 10th grade kind of realizing, I don't like these people. Why am I trying to be friends with them? And just discovering all this new music with new friends that I made and, you know, getting into like more like quote unquote new wave and punk stuff and just discovering that things like, and you know, from bands like U2 to GBH, where it's just learning about these bands and yeah. getting and realizing, oh, I like this kind of music. So I remember U2 was just like a huge band at the time, like early high school. And But I also liked the Doobie Brothers. You know, my dad took me to see them right. in 11th grade, and I still like them. So it kind of runs the gamut, I guess, all sorts of stuff. But And then I remember a guy that I, a guy who I'm still good friends with introduced me to the the like in 12th grade mm. and thinking like wow they're so an echo and the bunny men and discovering bands like that and music like that and but still never even listened to the ramones till i was probably even out of college really just never got around to it and then for, for whatever reason which is a terrible way to even phrase it no that's that even another thing where i feel like how could i not have listened to that band until much later in you life. You find something, you're like, where is this band or where has this music been my whole life? And, and uh, Or how did I miss blank? That's for yeah. sure one where I just feel like, how did that not happen? Right. It's weird. Well, growing up uh, near Detroit, um, in high school age, was there like a music scene nearby that you tapped into that like you saw local shows at or anything? I never got too adventurous like to go downtown Detroit, sadly. I mean, I'm trying to think of any good shows. I I think there was a place called Todd's, which I think was a club. Mm -hmm. And I remember like going on just like a punk night. And maybe that's where I heard about the Sex Pistols. I can't remember, but I never saw any like crazy. I remember like the first big show I saw. Like the Flesh Tones was a band I got into late in high school. And I remember seeing them in a, this place, I think it was called Paychecks in Hamtramck, just outside Detroit. And that was like a teeny little place. I think there was a guy who opened for them called Elvis Hitler. He was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, 
but that was a great show. And I had two friends that we were really good friends and we listened to the Flesh Tones constantly. That was probably an early big favorite band. That's cool. Yeah. I've noticed ska comes up in your work more than, <laughs> more than once. So besides being like almost like a comedy trope at this point, uh-huh. you know, because it's a silly form of music, but did, um, <clears throat> was that ever something that you were into? Yes, for sure. I had a big, huge ska phase. Not where I was dressing up or anything like right. that, but just that I listened to a ton of it. Yeah. And a lot of those bands and songs are no longer on my iPod except for the specials first album, which I oh, just God, one yeah. of the greatest. Did you see their reunion shows at all? One no. Of them? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're playing again this summer. I think that album is just incredible. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, for a selector record too. It's unbelievable. I don't, I, th- I only have a few, I think songs from that. I think, is that like, is it three, three minute hero, three minute hero, uh, That's too much pressure, song. too much pressure is great. Yeah. I have a few songs on, but I don't think I have the whole album. Yeah. But that specials album, I mean, yeah, it's really all you need. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so I, I had, I listened to a lot of ska and you know, the scat, scat, live, you know, I had yeah. one of those albums, which I loved. Um, there was some band Bim Scala Bim. They were from Boston. Yeah. I saw them a few times in college and man, great shows. Mm-hmm. Really fun. stuff except the specials i love hearing it come up in shows you've done and i think the biggest example the uh ska mitzvah, ska mitzvah. episode we just wanted to say thank you so much for coming and uh, especially to our out-of-town guests thank you very much um but mainly to david who did so great today i just wanted to say skazzletop on your ska mitzvah yay Um, also, there's um, lots and lots of Scotsable soup. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and uh, lots of potato Scotkas. Yeah. So, anyway, eat up and enjoy. Okay. Thank you. Oh, did you want to say something? Uh, yes, yes. <clears throat> eat up and enjoy. This is all about David. Let's celebrate. Um, really quick, I do have to thank uh, Rick. And everybody at uh, Copy Town, they sponsor the whole event. Copy Town Copy Shop. From bar mitzvahs to brisses, you'll say oy vey. Now that's quality. Um, before I get ahead of myself here, I just want to clear up in case I've got some unfamiliar faces to me at least out here. I'm David's dad. My name is John. Uh, I just want to make sure no one out there thinks there was a bank scobber running around. <laughs> Oh, come on. Bank scobber. Bank robber. Bank scobber. Robber. Ska. Scobber. Easily the most creative and least obvious ska pun of the night gets nothing. I see. I remember uh, there's that moment where you and Kevin Dorf are kind of just walking on the street and just talking about... Uh, He's like talking to you about different bands and which ones paved the way for what. Was that just totally improvised? Was this in Delocated? In Delocated, I'm sorry. We, well, Dorf... And he's yeah. a big Scott fan, right? Oh, yeah. Dorf and I like... I, I remember that about him, yeah. Is he... I 
think I should mention I, I used to intern at Conan. I wasn't there when you were there. I was there just after you'd left. So I kind of Did you get to know Kevin at all? Yeah, a little bit. And we used to talk about bands a lot. So. Oh yeah. That's he and I like became fast friends in Chicago. Kind of I think bonded over the flesh tones right sure. away. And then just I mean, I just he's one of my very good friends yeah. to this day. And uh but we for sure hit it off and then just did Second City together, and then we shared an office for three years together at Conan, and it was just the greatest. Yeah. And that, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember that specific moment, and I I'm, would have to imagine it was improvised. Yeah. But that was so fun. Like, even that was actually, I feel like that might have been the shot where we're on the Vespas, mm-hmm. and it's just a quick shot as we're riding to the yeah. bar mitzvah. That might have been the final shot of season one. Wow. That might have been like ride around the block five times cut that's a wrap i think i'm pretty sure that was the that's last great. shot but that was super fun that suit i wore was the suit i wore at second city like this old shark skin suit i think this place was called george's and a lot of people got their their touring company and their show suits there in chicago and she said racks and racks you'd like you see a rack of suits, like a huge room. You'd go to one rack, you'd open it. It would just keep going where you think there's no, how is there room in here? Crazy. Um, but yeah, that was especially fun. That was, just, yeah, riding those scooters, just so dumb, but really enjoyable. And I, I love Delocated. And I heard that ended a little sooner than you wanted it to. Is that accurate? Not necessarily. It okay. was one of those things where I actually think it was a good place to end it. Right. Story-wise, I would have kept doing it. But I think the network thought it felt like enough. And I think that was a good decision. Mm-hmm. Not that if, if we had done another season, I'm not, I'm not worried about what we would have done. I'm sure we would have figured something out. But story-wise, it was a good place to finish. So it wasn't like I was saying, no, we got to do one more. It was just, oh, I'd love to do more. But yeah, that's a good place to stop also. Mm-hmm. And I'm very extremely happy and satisfied with the the series finale, like how we got to finish. Yeah. I love that episode so much. I think it's really good just for make, you know, for a basic cable, relatively low budget show. I think we did a lot with a little, and I think that episode was really, really strong. It's a fantastic conclusion. Oh man. That was the whole, well, spoiler alert, plug yours. You don't hear this. The fight scene was the, that was the final day of, shooting so that's how we ended it like this physical emotional scene and it was a such a great way to finish shooting that show super cool it was really hard both i just said it physically and emotionally i mean i was sobbing at the end but it was really funny because uh you know i'm in my underwear and i'm covered in dirt and fake blood and we're in the middle of the woods and i'm just like having this big speech. Thanks everybody. What a great experience. And I just didn't even think to like put a robe on or something <laughs> and nobody wanted to interrupt it Yeah, and just say, Oh, Hey, put some clothes on. So it's sure. just started happening. And everyone's instinct was to take their phones out of course, and like get a picture of it or a video, but everyone was resisting the urge because they just wanted to have the moment. One person got a photo and I, I was wish there say, was one person had to have gotten a photo. Yeah. It's just, you know, I'm kind of like this hand up. I wish there was video of it, but I'm whatever. It's also fine that it's not, but yeah. oh my God, it was really funny. Did people think that you, <laughs> that you knew that you were like conscious of that choice and you were just kind of messing with everybody? Or I don't, was it? Oh, that's a good question. I don't you think know. so. I think, I think everyone knew it was just a genuine right. moment and I'm not even thinking about the fact 
about how I look. I was so just overtaken by, I was overcome with the emotions of the moment. <laughs> but it was really funny just because, you know, it's this ridiculous Speedo underwear. Yeah. And I was so filthy from rolling around the floor and having some of the fake blood from the cuts. Anyway, it was pretty, it was a pretty, but a perfect way to finish that show. It was great. It was like a fantastic <laughs> conclusion in, in, yeah. in uh, you know, the given time of the series. And um, I feel like that show had, you know, it started w- one way and the way it ended, the, the, the action scenes especially were done so well and the violence felt so real that it kind of like crossed over in a sense to like be kind of becoming a, a black comedy. Would you agree with that? Or would? For sure, especially yeah. that last episode. Yeah. There's some really brutal stuff that happens in it. Yeah. But the comedy of it just, I think, works really well. You know, and there was times where I even felt like, should we just leave it dramatic? But it was just too much. It didn't feel like the show. Like in the fight scene, there was a lot of lines we ended up throwing in there that just helped the comedy of it. Totally dumb. I taught you well. Yes, you did. And now it's time to say farewell. Oh, see what I did there? I took your dumb line and I made it rhyme. Oh, look at that. I made that one rhyme. Extra, extra, read all about it. This guy can rhyme and there's no doubt about it. You just rhymed about it with about it. So what, dude? It's called poetic freedom. You mean license? No, I mean freedom. Like freedom for you to die. But yeah, it ended up in a pretty rough place, even though I think it was great. And I still think really funny, but it's for sure dark. But when you start... I don't want to say anything if you haven't seen the episode. Oh, right. It's big spoilers, but... But but starting the show, you kind of didn't have that choice going in, right? It was kind of just... When we started the show, never did... I had not even thought about the ending, because I just felt like, let's see how long we get to make it. Yeah. And I love that it went to that place, and... I don't know if we'll ever do any more. I think it's done, but I've always had this idea and I keep mentioning it to them that I still think there's a way to do another season and do it animated, which I think would be super cool. That was one of the follow-up questions I had was kind of, do you see uh, the story continuing in any way, like a like a one-off movie or something? I don't know about a movie. I don't think they would do that and I'm not crazy about the idea of it. Yeah. I think I have this idea. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I think it's really great to do it as an animated series where, because the way we, well, again, I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't seen the episode. So I think there's a way to make it work. It'll just be a matter of if I can convince them to do it. Okay. And I think it would be really cool. I think so too. So hopefully one day. Since we're on Delocated, I see this actor's name and his face popping up more and more in your work since Delocated. This guy, Steve Cribbis? Cerbis. Cerbis. Mm-hmm. Had you known him at all before Delocated, or was that sort, some sort of casting fluke that you were like, this guy is great, i got to use him in everything I'm doing? It was that. And it wasn't so much everything, I'm, I'm going to use him in everything I'm doing at the time. It was just, we were kind of up against it with casting that part in Delocated. Yeah. We were getting really close to shooting. We hadn't really found someone who nailed it. You know, and this is really early on in my career, and really no one knows who I am yet, and we weren't getting like a lot of big names to audition or semi names or whatever. And it was, there was a few good people 
who auditioned, but nobody really nailed the part. And then he was kind of at the end of the process. And then it was like, holy shit, he's incredible. Yeah. And his audition was truly good. It was truly amazing. It was so good. And so just from getting to work with him, you know, we, he also just became good friends. He's such a really good person and uh, just a very talented guy. And then when Neon Joe came up, we ended up casting him as the sheriff because he's just really talented and we wanted to keep working with him. And then with gear, same thing. He's like a genuine outdoorsy gear guy and I thought it'd be fun. We just had the idea of him being the sidekick who gets mm-hmm. fired. Um, but he's, yeah, he just turned into that guy that we all like and like working with. In John Glazer Loves Gear and in Neon Joe, you see him, you know, as a comic actor and he's really great at it. I mean, that's where I was like, I was like, wow. He had such a specific role in uh, Delocated as sort of this Russian, you know, gangster guy. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great casting. But then you, you use him in the other shows. I'm like, wow, this guy's like, you know, he has comedy timing, which isn't easy to have. But He's just a very good actor. Yeah. And I think he, you know, we, a lot of the stuff I do, we're playing the, the comedies coming from the drama. So we're just asking people to play it pretty dramatically or straight. And he's just good at it. And we've worked for so long now on so many things that there's a shorthand there and he knows what I like. And, but I just also, it's not even so much that he knows what I like. He just does what I like. And he's right. just really good. So when you find a good match like that, because even with Neon Joe, there was, I think, a little bit of a discussion of just not using him in that role because it's just, let's find new people so it's not all the same people and mm. from Delocated. But that's why you see a lot of directors who work with the same people because you, you just find people you like working with and you want to work with them. Sure. And there's a reason for that. And when you have a... I hate the word chemistry, but when you have that with someone and you just work really well with them, you're going to keep doing it. And so that's what happened with Steve in particular. He's a New, he's a New York guy? He's New York, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And he's a, yeah, and we're just good friends now too, which is also a nice byproduct of just working with someone like that. It's just It just makes it way more enjoyable. You know, anytime you're working with your friends, it's, I mean, you should. <laughs> you know, right. it's just makes it makes it a lot more fun and whenever that happens it's just the best otherwise it can be if you're just working some job it can be not fun will there be a second season of gear do we know yet we are waiting to find out i think so but as of now it's not officially yeah we're we're waiting to hear yeah i i don't even know if we have his audition tape anywhere (laughs) i would just love to just to see it again yeah might be long gone sadly Yeah, I was looking at some of his other credits, and and so it's kind of great that you broke him into comedy that way, and and he'll probably get more work out of it because, like I said, he was just so great, and you know, I hope so as a comic actor, but or even just as a dramatic actor. I know he's played like a lot of bad guys and tough guys in some shows, and it's easy to get typecasted in that. Yeah, even even on a couple of roles, it seems. But yeah, and even early, I think he played because he's not Russian. And everybody, I remember we did a Comic-Con panel and everybody's like, say something. They wanted to hear him talk because I think everyone thought he was Russian. And when he <laughs> spoke, because no one knows who he is. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God. And he told me a story that he was, he, you know, he's also a trainer. He's a physically imposing guy. And he's, he does, 
he's worked on that body a long time. But he does, he's a trainer as well as an actor, and he has a gym in Queens. Excuse me. And I think he was at the gym, and he saw a couple, like, Russian guys that seemed like legitimate Russian gangster-type guys, and I think they had seen the show or something like that. And they were, like, you know, giving him compliments on the job he did because he is... Wow. I was always curious about that. Like, I don't want that. I don't want some like Russian gangster dudes to think we're making fun of him because we're not. But he really brought that because Eugene's so funny in the show, but he's just, you know, this bumbling fool. And then Serbis was just incredible. And this guy, Glenn Fleshler, who played the uh, played uh, character Pavel, mm-hmm. who was the other like real tough guy, he ended up playing the killer in the first season of True Detective. And he's another really physically imposing, really great actor. So we did have that nice element of drama starting the second season with the crime family. Having Eugene also play a character who can just speak fluent Russian was so funny. Oh, man, it was great. Yeah. It was really one of the funny things about that, because we also had, you know, the scenes where they go see their dad in prison. Mm -hmm. And that actor spoke Russian. Eugene spoke Russian. Steve did not. And he would learn it whenever he had to speak it. And it wasn't that much. But there was some scenes. There was one time where I think they just spoke in Russian to each other for a couple exchanges. And we had to write it out phonetically for Steve just to make it easier. And and Eugene helped us with it. And he was just laughing because it all sounded good if you don't know Russian. Mm-hmm. But if you do know Russian, like it was just... You know the cadences were off and the inflections were off, so it might if it might be a thing where you're hearing someone basically saying, "Well, Father, if we are going down to the store, right?" The but inflections he's just, are yes. off, yes, yeah. And it just, but if you don't have the ear for it, it's like, wow, that sounds great. <laughs> and he said, it "Just sound like a dumb child <laughs> trying to speak Russian." It's really funny, but it looked good. It sounded good. Yeah, Vladimir Bibik was the the dad that guy was great yeah he played the father and delocated when they they go to the jail right and those were locations like on or near uh, brighton area and like no that the the prison was at a fencing studio in gowanus oh wow yeah it was just this one section at the end of the room mm-hmm. and it just had these caged windows so it looked perfect i can't remember how we found it or if we might have shot something else there but yeah that was pretty funny I don't know if we ever shot anything in like true blue Russian right. New York neighborhoods. John Glazer loves gear comes out of your true love of gear. Mm-hmm. I've actually known that about you for a little while because my first encounter with you interesting was when I very curious. To hear I was you. interning at Conan, and you had left. I guess you had left something there. It was like. It was like a cycling outfit or something that I was sent on a run to bring back down to you. Just You were like waiting on the ground floor in full cycling outfit with helmet. And you were on a really tricked out racing bike, holding it on the side and fancy sunglasses. And I was, so I was bringing you down a different cycling outfit that you had somehow left in the offices. And I was bringing it just right there at the ground floor. And you were like, Thanks for doing that. Thanks, man. I was just like, wow, this guy re- is really into cycling. <laughs> well, I remember at that time. So this is after I left, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Right before I quit, I bought this really nice road bike. 
Mm-hmm. It was a titanium frame, this company called Lightspeed, and it's I still have it. It's a it's a stunning bike. Really expensive, man. I decided this is gonna be the last nice thing I'll buy myself for a while before this is my going away present, I guess, to myself mm-hmm. before I quit. And I was riding a lot with uh, a few friends and our the casting director there, Cecilia Pleva, she was a like a she raced. Yeah. And me and her and a couple of their friends and we'd like go over the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey and do some good rides. Um, so I was riding a lot. So yeah, and I just bought that bike and it was, and it is, still is, so nice. Just beautiful wheels. The rims were incredible. The frame itself was really nice. It's a titanium frame with carbon fork and carbon seat post and handlebars. And oh, it's such a nice bike. It was the, it was probably the nicest bike I had seen at the time it's a it's a good one it was maybe like a little over three grand yeah and you can you can believe me you can see bikes that that are 10 grand 15 oh yeah it's crazy once you get into these super high-end materials and the components um but that was a little bit of a treat the joke that it became known as we one of the bits we did on conan they did this thing called um i think it was called celebrity secrets Sure. And I think it started with William Shatner might have been the first. So it would always be like the last name of the person. Yeah. Shatner. Secrets. So it was like, Shatner. And so this other guy, Michael Gordon, did that voice of the person's name. So it'd be like the name said in this really authoritative way, followed by secrets. And I did the voice. So you were secrets. secrets. So I whispered secrets. I never knew you were secrets. Yes. Shatner. Secrets. One time I was out at a bar with James Duane who played Scotty. We were drinking Jim Beam. I leaned over and said, beam me up, Scotty. He laughed. It was kind of a fake laugh. Secrets. So basically, I got like a check for recording the actual voiceover. And then every time it aired... I would get like a residual check because <laughs> when you do voiceovers, every time it airs, you get some kind of residual check. Right. It's not like a crazy amount of money, but for the amount of celebrity secrets that we did combined with the amount of times it re-ran, the joke was that we should name that bike Secrets because it probably I probably made enough money in just the voiceover the residuals to pay for the bike. That's hilarious. So I think it was Cecilia who nicknamed the bike Secrets, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> and it's true. And you still have secrets. And I still have secrets. Secrets. I was on tour in the United States back in 89, and we did a show in Cincinnati. During that show, I shouted out, It's great to be in Cincinnati. That was a lie. Bowie. Secret. Although, with John Glazer Loves Gear, I got this custom frame I was going to ask you about this. So I almost wanted to ask, did you write that episode just to get that bike? Well, I I really can't remember if it was a conscious decision of just, you know, before the episode was written. I'd like to think I wasn't that big of a jerk, like, I'm going to get a free bike out of this. Because I already had this great bike. If anything, I felt like I can't, I have such a tiny apartment. I don't have room for two bikes. I don't. And so I think it just turned into a, well, it's just, it's a funny idea for the episode and it's a cool way to get a free bike. You know, we were, someone was even joking that I got, you could even say that I got paid to get the bike. 
instead of it being yeah. a free bike because it's part of the episode. Exactly. But it was cool. I mean, I got a custom built frame. I didn't get to really go for it and do custom everything because that would have been way too expensive. For people who haven't seen the episode, it's up online. It's John Glazer Loves Gear. It's on the, I believe it's on the True TV site. True TV. You can watch the cycling episode, which was um, first or second episode? Second episode. Second episode. Yeah, I think that one also got, because the, when the show premiered, they had back-to-back episodes. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I hope that one didn't get lost in the shuffle, the cycling one, because I think no. it's a really good episode. It's a great episode. But yeah, I got this custom-made bicycle. So those are your two bikes. Those are my two bikes, although I really don't ride the I don't ride secrets much anymore because it's actually a smaller frame. Mm-hmm. So now I'm wondering if that frame was a little, and I had just had the seat post higher mm-hmm. to compensate, but I just ride the custom frame everywhere because that's my bike. Sure. And it's, it fits great. It rides great. I'm trying to, I'm really, to ha- I have to decide if I'm going to keep secrets or not. I don't see how I can part with it, but it doesn't hold as much emotional relevance and resonance as the custom frame. I'm, I'm deciding if I'm, maybe I'll swap the wheels because the wheels on the titanium bike are so sweet. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Well, Secrets, I never knew that was your voice in on, yeah. uh, on Late Night with Conan. That show at that time with you guys and girls, uh, men and women who wrote on that mm-hmm. show, was such, um, I mean, a defining time in comedy and just... I mean, I think that show was just perfect, and I'm wondering how how you define it as as a former writer and uh, cast member of the show. Just because I I always saw it as like it was like the right show at the right time with the right group of people. I mean, you know, Conan still has a show; it's still going strong; it's still great. Whenever I catch it, it's still great. But it's just something about that era, you know, from the early to mid '90s that was just kind of, in my mind, pitch perfect. And I'm wondering on, on, on your end, being on the creative end, you know, how, how you define it. I think that's fairly accurate. I mean, I think a lot of the, like those first five years I thought were truly incredible. I was there for the second five years, which I also think were really amazing. I think after I left, it was, still was great. And now it's just super different. Once they, once, it, once they moved to L.A., it just got different. I haven't watched it as much, so it's hard to say if it's if I think it's better or not. And but I agree with you that it's still really good, but it is different. And I think that was a really incredible time, those first ten years especially. I think mm-hmm. it was a really incredible group of writers and performers. It's hard to say though, because even after I left, there were so many good people there, and just tapping in on good talent <clears throat> that was in New York at the time. Some people were hired out of Chicago, more so at the beginning. You know, Dorf and McCann, Brian Stack. I mean, a lot of people, like Tommy Blacha, who's one of the early writers and performers, Andy Richter, I mean, all those, Dino, those are all Chicago people. Right. But I think, you know, Conan and Robert Smigel had spent a lot of time in Chicago and ended up, I think, gravitating towards a lot of those types of people who are writer-performers. But they also hired straight-up writers also, so the monologues. But yeah, it was a great time, I think, and... I mean, still, like, one of the greatest jobs I had. It was so fun. And just a, yeah, very cool group of people. What do you think of late-night shows these days? I mean, I think uh, Colbert is really, really good. 
he, I mean, but he's always been, I think, one of the smartest, funniest people out there. And I don't watch him too much, honestly. I mean, it's such a specific time right now with right. everything that's happening politically. It's hard just to not be about that. But you could argue that even at the when Conan was in its heyday, they did a lot of political stuff and they didn't shy away from it at all. It was mm. a big component of it. But now it just seems so supercharged and awful. But yeah, I really don't watch much of them, so it's hard that's to really fair. comment. And you were Colbert's understudy at one point in Second City? Yeah. Yeah, right before he left, I got really lucky. Just arbitrarily, it was, you know, I was his understudy and he just happened to get a job and leave early into the run of one of the of the show he was doing at the time so i got to take over and just stayed there for weeks it was great when you're an understudy you might do a couple shows here and there and i just got lucky to take over brett davis has a small role as your agent <laughs> it's sort of an easter egg in there i know you guys became friends in sort of an interesting way because i've known brett a long time oh yeah uh he didn't he jokingly sort of write a script kind of calling your bluff in an email or something like that well he you know it's funny because he's one of the reasons i haven't quit facebook because i just hate it i hate facebook i don't like social media yeah and i've had enough good things happen with facebook where i feel like i'll just keep it i really hardly even post on there anymore and i don't like doing social media in general but i i instagram to me is more fun anyway so I'll get, I'll get messages from people like Brett who are younger and doing comedy shows and asking me to do the shows. And I just usually say no because I'm either just too busy and then at night I just want to go to bed mm-hmm. or just schedule. Um, but he was really, really persistent. And I just kept joking like, you know, you keep saying, yeah, you keep, if, you, if you don't mind the constant no's, maybe one of these days it'll happen. Just because trying to be encouraging and not just like, <laughs> shitty about like, yeah. nope, can't do it. Because I'd rather do the shows if I could. And he made some, he, he just, and I don't even think he was trying to make a joke. He just phrased something I thought was interestingly worded. You know, he's like, well, if you could ever do it, that'd be great. You know, we'd have you on whenever possible forever. I think was the phrase, which I thought was a really strange way of saying it, which made me laugh. And I just jokingly wrote back, like, sounds good. We'll be in touch. By the way, you have to write a screenplay called Whenever (laughs) Possible Forever. And then I don't even think he joked back. I think the next thing I received was like an opening half page of a script. Mm -hmm. So, and then I just wrote back, you keep writing, I'll keep reading. You know, again, just joking back, calling, you know, we were just calling each calling other's each bluff. bluff yeah. So then he sends me back like another page. And I was like, don't stop. <laughs> and then another page, like, keep it up. And another page. And then it just kept going and kept going. <laughs> and then I think there was a long stretch where I just didn't respond, but they kept coming. And then I'd catch up. And then I don't even remember how much later it was. I feel like it was months. I was doing... Larry Murphy and Greg Johnson had a show short-lived on Myrtle, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was doing the show 
and Brett and I hadn't met him and I didn't really remember what he looked like from his profile photo or anything. He comes up to me and he's just introduced himself to me or he might even just handed me the script. I can't remember. That's great. He's like, here it is. I was like, oh my God, awesome. And then I read it and I thought it was really funny because that easily could have been just like a, eh, whatever. Right. That was a funny joke we did and this is just whatever. But I thought it was really, really funny. We just started talking. I said, we should do something with it. I don't, let's maybe pitch it. Maybe it could be a one-off thing Adult Swim would do. And I didn't really think they would because there was also a lot of things just logistically, even as an animated right. thing that they couldn't do with rights and clearances. And so it ended up just being this staged reading and it was really fun. And it was just a one-off thing. And that was it. But it was so worth it because it was a really cool experience to have that come out of Facebook. Right. And then just have this creative thing happen for a night. And it was a really good time. That was at very Shea fun. Stadium. Yeah. I went to that reading. It oh, really? That's very funny. funny. Yeah, it was really funny. It involved the band Chicago, if I remember. Yeah, Chicago was a big part of it, which is why we could never right. do it for real. But that was so funny. Yeah. It was really good. I remember showing it to a couple of people. One guy, this guy, Christy Caracas. Do you know who he is? He's in that band Cheeseburger, and he also did that show Super Jail on Adult Swim, which is oh, okay. truly incredible. Yeah. He does a lot of animation stuff now and just sent it to him. He's like, this is crazy. This is awesome. But yeah, but well, it'll just go down. 50 years from now, when uh, Chicago music is in the public domain. Yeah, exactly. We'll have yeah. forever, always. What was yeah. it? I think it was whenever possible forever. Whenever I possible think that's what forever. it was called. But yeah, it was one of those things, at least in my opinion, that I thought, oh, this is someone that's really funny and not just like a goofy little thing that could have been whatever. I thought it was anyway. But yeah, that was pretty funny. You had some memorable talk show appearances as a guest and one in which you made up a character that then Adult Swim actually picked up. And now you're about to launch its second season, Neon Joe, Werewolf Hunter. Mm -hmm. Did that appearance go exactly according to plan for you was that kind of hook line and sinker i don't even know if i'd call it that it was really it wasn't even intentional like let me see if they take the bait yeah i just was doing it for my own amusement really more than anything as an interview segment but at the time i thought i could see them maybe thinking it's funny i didn't really think it would ever become a thing but i did feel like they'd probably find that amusing I could see them thinking that's funny. And then they, I got a call. That's exactly what happened. Like, hey, that sounds like a show we'd make. I know you were, they, they knew I was joking. They knew there wasn't a show, but they liked the idea of it and they liked the name of it. And then we just started talking about it, if it could be something. And then we wrote a, or I wrote a pilot and they liked it. And so we got to shoot it and they liked it. And now we're here making another season. It's pretty funny. It's one of my favorite parts about the show. And, and it literally came from nothing. Yeah. And you're the sole writer on, on every episode? Basically, for every show that I've made, it's me and two other guys, John Lee and Vernon Chapman, who are two members of this group called PFFR. Mm -hmm. And they do their own shows. You know, they did Wonder Shows in, if you know that show. They did The Heart She Holler on Adult Swim. They did Xavier Renegade Angel. Two extremely talented, smart, funny writers. Um, and I've known them a long time. And they ended up becoming a production company along with Allison Levy, the third person, around the time that I was doing Delocated. And so I just hired them because we're friends. And it had a built-in creative element because John and Vernon are writers and also directors. And John ended up directing a lot of 
Delocateds, and he directed the pilot of Neon Joe, and he directed the last season of Neon Joe. So, but it's the three of us that do all the writing for all the shows I've done. So My name of, goes on the scripts just because right. I do the physical, actual. But you all kind of break the story together. Correct. Gotcha. We're in a room together. We're coming up with all the ideas together. We're coming up with the outlines together. And then I will sit down at the computer and I'll do the actual physical writing. And then I'll, but then it's send them the scripts. They have notes and thoughts and ideas. And it's just an extremely collaborative process how we do it. And it just works. Do you know where Neon Joe's accent comes from? <laughs> it's super arbitrary. I just wanted to do something, again, just, I didn't want it to just be me talking in a normal voice because yeah. it just didn't seem interesting. And I thought it would be funny to, like, Vernon and I had been doing that kind of like, that, uh, you know, that's just what Vernon coined the unintelligible grunt. Yeah. Uh, Which is the second of, of a show you've done now. What's that? Well, didn't Delocated have uh, kind of the the fruit? Well, sound? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all all my comedies based on stupid noises. <laughs> yeah, Delocated had the. I just wanted to clarify, which was just my yeah, yeah. That was my dad. It's a lot of dad stuff, but then the he just seemed like it lent itself well to this character. But it's there's is there's no again with everything in that show. There's really no rhyme or reason. It's a lot of arbitrary. Just well, let's mm -hmm. try this. And it just seemed to work, and it was, seemed like a funny choice for the character. And then one of my favorite things about that is that when we shot the pilot, we had one day with like 50, 60 extras. It was a scene in the gymnasium. Never made the show. A lot of the pilot we reshot when we did the show. And this woman, she was probably in her 70s, a very just sweet old lady, maybe even older. And she comes up to me at lunch or after we were done, and she just said, I just love your accent. It's so spot on, whatever it is. <laughs> Which to me just sums up the accent. It's like, yeah, I don't know what it is either. It's like Southern Cajun, I guess. Yeah. There's a line in the <clears throat> second season where someone acknowledges that too. Like, I recognize that accent, whatever it is, from some like stupid character we have in there. But yeah, it was a lot of just, well, all right. They called my bluff. What's the show? Like sitting down to figure it out. Yeah. Who's the character? What does he look like? What does he talk like? And so it was during that process that it seemed like the right thing to do. To <laughs> just that all, it feels like, and even when we're shooting, it's like when in doubt, just like just you can just Throwing say that <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever see any of your other characters from various universes that you've created colliding? <laughs> We had an idea in the first season, which we didn't do, which I thought would be funny, because in the first season of Neon Joe, meaning the first season of Neon Joe, because um, it took place in this B&B &B town, right. I thought it'd be funny to see my delocated character in the background as if he was on his way to New York City. Yeah. So you see him coming out of a B&B &B with some government <clears throat> agents, I thought would have been a funny thing. I was thinking that. I was wondering if that was... a. Uh something that we might see someday but we had a thing too like there was the joke in gear when i was wearing the mask from delocated and my phone asks if there was make if we're making more episodes mm -hmm. i don't know if you saw that episode it's in the i must have yeah. dogs episode yeah and we were gonna have a joke where i'm you know hiding behind the car and we're in the ski mask and we were gonna have an actor just playing a person walking on the street go hey delocated and then we cut it because it just felt a little too indulgent and then, like, within five minutes of wrapping that scene, 
it happened for real. Just some real guy in the street. Hey, man, I loved you located. It was so weird. It was really funny. I was going to ask you, what is that what you get recognized for the most? Or what would you say you get? Probably Parks and Rec and Girls. Yeah. That happens the most, for sure. But still get delocated. and. How much of the girls' character was written for you, and how much was that just you bringing to the character? That was all written. I really? Mean, yeah. It was an entirely written character, and I'm sure once I started doing it, maybe they tailored stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was actually a different character when I auditioned, and then it became the junkie. So, yeah, all credit to the writers. And they let me improvise stuff to their credit as well, the people who made the show. It was a great set. They were so, it was so much fun to, to work there, and they were really, really collaborative and willing to do that, even though it was their thing. They were, they were open to that. Do you use Siri in real life? Very rarely. Yeah. Very rare. I don't even, I think hardly ever, unless I'm doing it as a joke. I don't think I ever use Siri. That's cute. <laughs> Seems weird. Someone gave me one of those Alexa things. Oh, really? I and I plugged it in. I was like, I wouldn't. I I, I can't. I don't want to walk around my apartment just talking to this thing. Right. It just seems lazy. It's, for me, it's like, is it monitoring other? You know, I don't know. Oh yeah. If you want to get all conspiracy theory, exactly. yeah, man. I wouldn't doubt it. <clears throat> it seems, yeah, I, I hate it. That one just seems especially annoying. I understand if you're on your phone and it's a quick, convenient thing, but just be walking around your where you live just yelling out to this machine. Weird. Do you show any of your work to your kids, or do they ever ask to see anything? Like They're a little too young to see it. I'll show them stuff that they can see. There's plenty they can see, yep. and then I'll either... <clears throat> stop it before a scene they can't see or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're old enough now, or at least my son for sure. My daughter is getting there where I think they're understanding what I do. And I've brought them here. We're recording this at the edit right now of Neon Joe. I brought them both here and it's really, it was fun to bring them here and I had them record some stuff, but most of the stuff I do, they can't see. Yeah. Although I remember. That's gotta be tough though, right? I think it's a little, well, yes and no. They'll see it eventually. Mm-hmm. I feel like my son was aware of the Laird character. And I think (laughs) this happened like several years ago, maybe even four or five years ago. I don't know if he saw the, the, if he saw the episode where I was kissing Lena. I don't know if he saw it or if he was aware of it, if we were talking about it and just trying to explain that it was just pretend. And he was asking if we were going to get divorced. (laughs) It was really weird. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) So, so funny and sad. And we're not. Good. Well, thanks for doing this. Of course. Sorry, I'm taking a bite of bread. (laughs) This is kind of a bold question, but what do you hope to be remembered for the most? Or is it something you haven't even done yet? I don't know. That's always a hard question to answer because I don't like talking about myself in that way. But, I mean, for me, I just... I mean, I just hope I prefer to be known for doing good work, so and good comedy. So it's not—I don't—that would be the one thing, as opposed to any one show mm. or one character, or whatever. Just to have, just to have the respect of my peers, I guess, and the the public. Not that I really necessarily worry about that stuff. 
but I'd rather be known as someone like, oh, that guy was funny or he's really good as opposed to, oh, boy. <laughs> I guess that's my answer. It's a good enough answer. It's a great answer. Last. Solid. It's, got, it's the answer, whether it's good or not. My last question. Okay. Favorite New York sandwich as of late? Wow, as of late. Or maybe ever, just ever. Um, well, the first thing that's popping in mind, because I just had it recently, was this place, Alidoro. Do you know that place? There's a few of them. There's one on Sullivan Street between Prince and Spring. Okay. <clears throat> There's one in Midtown somewhere, because I found out there was one near here. Which I was, walked past one. Oh, man, place. it's so good. There's one, I think, maybe in the East Village now, like a little... And they have a ton of different sandwiches, and they're all great, high-quality food. The uh, I think it's the Sophia. Get it on semolina, and it's, I think, like an olive paste as the spread. And I think it's got salami and maybe artichokes. Does it have a cheese? It's delicious. Oh, my God. It's so good. Have you ever been to Hannah Food in Williamsburg, Brooklyn? No. Near the Lorimer stop? think so great great spot hannah food hannah food it's kind of like a walk-in deli but mm-hmm. they have just crazy named sandwiches right a mile long well for a while it was anything at city subs or city sub which is on bergen and they went out of business but then they reopened to city subs it's on fifth avenue just south of bergen also very good no frills nothing fancy but really good but ali doro mm. Check it out. I'm doing the thing where you kind of kiss your fingers, right? Mm, delicious. Highly recommend. Yeah, let's just go with that one. Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter Season 2 mm-hmm. premieres when? May 22nd. So yeah, May 22nd, which is... It's May 22nd, which is a Monday at midnight, which is technically Tuesday, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's Monday night at midnight, and then it'll air every night that week. Perfect. As a mini series, five in a row, and then I think it'll rerun once a week after that. But the first run is every night of that week. People can see the first season on AdultSwim.com, and people can see the first season of John Glazer Loves Gear at TrueTV.com. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, think you got the Hulu. It's on there. Hulu as well. Hulu I think has all the Adult Swim shows. Gear I don't know, but you can find it on their website. I think. I'm so glad we got to do this, and thanks for making time. Thank you, and my apologies again for... Audience doesn't even have to know that. If I had not even said it, they wouldn't even have known. Right. But I'm saying it anyway, because I felt really terrible. But then it allowed it to happen like this. Right. Anyway, it's all good. It's a better day to do it. Beautiful, gorgeous day outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no issues with the subway. Uh, the 6th Avenue stop was down. Power out on a whole avenue of a huge city. Terrible rainy day. Terrible rainy, yeah. I ended up having a lovely walk home through Brooklyn. Oh, God, that made me think of another sandwich. Oh, my God. I'll just throw it out there. Sure. David's Pastrami on Nostrand near Fulton. Okay. Wow. I'll check that out, too. Oh, man. Yeah. That was one I just had a few weeks ago. Unbelievably good. Mm -hmm. I think it's called David's Pastrami, or maybe it's just called David's. Yeah, I drive past that a lot. That is quite good. They've got pastrami, I think, corned beef, brisket, other stuff too, but get the pastrami. Do that first and then go from there. All right. That was incredible. That's the gateway there. Yeah. 
was oh god i can't believe i forgot about that oh but then i just remembered it thanks anyway. john <laughs> hey this is john glazer you're listening to pat Byrne on wfmu i hate about a whole hill a hoot a whole he don't hill a heap hop he don't a heat a hill on wfm hill About to end the show, but I see on Twitter someone is asking if we can open up the "What's My Problem" topic again. So, uh, all right, what the heck? Uh, for the next uh, minute of the show, uh, if anyone wants to call back and tell me, uh, you know, callers can call in on the old topic of "What's My Problem." That's fine. And okay, we have a call right here. So let's let's go right to uh, the phone here for the last moment of the show. Uh, hello, hey, what's my problem? Oh, you're often late. You have a bad outlook on life. You get seasonally depressed. You have bad breath. You can't fish. You walk funny. You're never good at sports. You smell like wet cardboard. You look weird in cufflinks. Your family doesn't care for you. You don't have a real job. You picked a crappy health insurance plan. You have a slow listenership. Your downstairs neighbor bullies you. You have sleep apnea. You're obsessive compulsive. Your stutter's getting worse. You grind your teeth. You look like Disney's Aladdin because you don't have any nipples. People are nervous to be in the car with you. You pay too much for car insurance. You never wore a retainer. Now your teeth are all out of line. You're a registered sex offender. Your apartment's infested with mice. Your printer doesn't work. There's mildew in your bathroom. You use the same password ever for everything. You're actually adopted. I like your dog. I don't have a problem with her. You haven't finished reading the book in years. When you sweat, you smell like old pizza. You like Tim Allen. You don't like pop punk, even though it's easy, fun, and simple music. You never killed a bear. Never eaten raccoon. Never made love to a tree. You never kicked a lady. You won't sell the possum skin tents I gave you to sell. Never slept in a cabin. Your front door lock is easy to break into. Your room looks like a pumpkin because it's orange. You're out of dish soap. You don't leave money at your apartment to tip the Domino's delivery guy. You're out of milk in the fridge. I got water all over the bathroom floor. Uh, oh, your roommate Mitch says hi. And uh, yeah, I guess that's about it. Is this John Trenton? Look, John, I know it's you, and it sounds like you're broken in my apartment again. Is that it? Is that the case? No, Pat, uh, this is Rich. Uh, Rich Camden. Rich Camden. All right, that's the worst name I ever heard in my life. 
Well, I gotta go. I have some pop brownies from my friend Gary. I'm gonna give him the chip chip. No, don't hang up. Are you hanging up? Hello? Hello? He's gone. He hung up. Well, that's just great. Thanks for listening to Prove It Show, everyone. The music featured in this episode was Sandwich Time by Citizen Blast Kane, used by permission. Our theme song was recorded by the All Night Tears, the Prove It All Night house band. Many thanks to the great John Glazer for taking time out to do that interview, and you can catch the brand new season of Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter right now on Adult Swim. Please subscribe to Prove It Show on iTunes if you haven't already. Give us a nice review and an equally nice rating. You can also listen live to the weekly Prove It All Night radio show over at WFMU.org. Every Saturday night from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Prove It Show. Facebook.com slash Prove It All Night Show. And you can drop me a line via email over at Pat at WFMU.org. Or follow my personal Twitter at 1-800-PAT-BURN. Now that's a lot of info for you to swallow, but I think if you try, you might swallow it just fine. My name is Pat, you're the podcast listening public, and we just proved it all night. See you later.